0: Go ahead, turn your Bibles, as Brandon said, to Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. And as he mentioned, today we continue our series called the Apocalyptic Church. And each week, we've looked at one of the seven churches that Jesus writes in the book of Revelation. The first was the church of Ephesus, which can best be described as the loveless church. The second was the church of Smyrna, which can best be described as the suffering church. The third was the church of Pergamum, which can best be described as the compromising church. But the fourth is the church of Thyatira, which can best be described as the tolerant church. Now, this is a time when we would normally pause for a moment of silence and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And then I would read the letter that Jesus writes to the church of Thyatira and say what? This is the word of the Lord. And then you would say what? Thanks be to God. But here's the problem. Each of the seven letters are written to a specific church using specific images, which they completely understood. But if I read to you the letter to the church of Tyra without explanation, you know what you're going to say? Now, who is this Jezebel lady, and why is Jesus killing her children? And so what we're going to do instead is go through the letter verse by verse and explain what it meant to them, but more importantly, what it means to us. And then at the end of the message, we'll do what we normally do at the beginning of the message. Sound good? All right, let's dig in. As Brandon has mentioned, each of the seven letters to the seven churches can be divided into five parts. Part one is Jesus' vision. Now, before we look at verse 18, I want you to look at this picture. Isaiah, can you show us? There we go. Can you see that picture? Can anyone tell me who that is? Anyone? Okay, this is a church. It is Jesus. Actually, it's an actor named Diago Morgado. Not only did he star in the movie Jesus, Son of God, he also played as surfer in the Hallmark Channel's Christmas in Malibu. Which means not only can he walk on water, he can ride a wave. I made that last part up, but you actually believed me, didn't you? For now, let's just call him Tolerant Jesus. Now imagine sitting down with Tolerant Jesus to have a beer. After a long, awkward silence, you finally say, Hey man, I got to get something off my chest. My girlfriend and I have been sleeping together. I know, it just happened one time, and we swore we would never do it again. But we did it again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Oh, yeah, there was that one time. And again. Intolerant, Jesus puts his hand on your shoulder and says, do you love her? Well, yeah, I guess I love her in fact. We even talked about getting married once. So, technically, you could say that we're kind of engaged ish. And so, Jesus smiles and says, Don't beat yourself up. Nobody's perfect. That's a joke, don't you get it? I'm perfect, you're not. You got to love, tolerant Jesus. He even has a sense of humor. But that's not the vision of Jesus that we find in the book of Revelation, is it? If that is what tolerant Jesus looks like, this is what intolerant Jesus looks like. The Apostle John writes this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. But when John sees him, he doesn't invite intolerant Jesus out to have a beer. He falls at his feet as if he was dead. But then, intolerant, Jesus puts his hand on his shoulder and says, Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. Now in the introduction to each of the seven letters, a different part of John's vision is revealed to that church. To the suffering church in Smyrna, we read an encouraging vision. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. But to the tolerant church in Thyatira, we read a frightening vision. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? The words of the Son of God. Who his eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. All right, everybody, turn around. Look. Look. Look in the back of the room. Do you see Jesus walking in? He's coming down the center aisle. And his eyes are like a flaming fire, and his feet are like burnished bronze. Looking into each of our eyes, stomping. If you saw that, what would you say? We are in so much trouble. And they are. But to learn why the Thyatirans are in so much trouble, look closely at how Jesus is described here in that verse. Not as the Son of God, but as what? The Son of God. Contrary to popular opinion, the Romans were spiritually tolerant, so tolerant that when they conquered the Greeks, they culturally appropriated their gods. Zeus became Papa God. His wife Hera became Mama God. And their son Apollo became Baby God, a.k.a. the Son of God. Then 200 years later, Augustus became the first Caesar who crowned himself Apollo Incarnate. And on the coins in the Thyatira's pockets, there was an image of the current Caesar, Domitian, on one side. And on the other side were the words, the Son of God. One way or the other, heads or tails, it was idolatry. Once a year, the Christians in Thyatira dropped those very coins into the Roman coffers. To be honest, it wasn't that big a deal. After all, Jesus himself had said, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And tell me, what is God's? Their worship. But after they dropped their coins into the Roman coffers, the Christians in Thyatira were required to offer a pinch of incense on the altar to Caesar, the Son of God. And the refusal to do so is why an estimated 40,000 Christians were martyred during the time of the book of Revelation. As Brandon explained a few weeks ago, The Jews were exempted from Caesar worship. They were called a religio licita, but Christianity was called religio illicita. And even if you don't know Latin, you know that's not a good thing. Christianity was an illicit religion, which raises this question. Why are the Romans picking on the Christians? They worship the Jewish God. They read from the Jewish Bible. To answer that question, we have to go back to the very first book that the Apostle John wrote, which was the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, Jesus explains to a Pharisee named Nicodemus that to become a Jew, you have to be born, which wasn't threatening to anyone. But to become a Christian, you have to become what? Born again, which was threatening to everyone. And to explain to Nicodemus how he could be born again, Jesus says this in John chapter 3, verse 16. If you know the verse, why don't you read it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The funny thing is about that verse, you used to see it everywhere. You'd see it on bumper stickers. You would see it on billboards. You'd even see it in end zones at football games. Anyone remember that? The guy with the rainbow fro holding up the sign saying John three sixteen. But we don't see it so much anymore. In fact, we don't hear it so much anymore. Not even in churches. And to learn why, I thought we'd try a little experiment. When you get home today on your Facebook, your Instagram, or your Twitter page, I want you to write John 3.16, all right? No commentary, just the words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life, all right? Some of you are saying, do you really want us to do that? Yeah, go ahead. But before you do, you might want to check your company's social media policy. Because to some, not only is that considered intolerant, to some, it would be considered hate speech. You know why? The moment you say whoever believes in him will not perish, what are you saying? Whoever does not believe in him will perish. Last spring, I applied for a chaplaincy program at a local hospital. At the beginning of the interview, the supervisor asked me the question, you know, what's your your faith background? And so I told him, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, but in college I came to follow Christ And then from that point on, I've attended evangelical churches. And the moment I said the E word, he said to me, you do know, by the way, that according to the ACPE, which is the Association for Certified Pastoral Education, if you didn't know, proselytizing patients is unethical. The moment you hear someone say proselytize, you know it's not a good thing, don't you? You're not sharing the love of Jesus. You're pulling the plug if the patient doesn't pray the prayer, right? And so I said, whoa, 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 no, dude, that's not the way I roll. But if a patient is looking for hope, I have a Bible and I know how to use it. Despite that confession, I got into the program. But in my final evaluation, I was critiqued, you know, for what? Being a chaplain who uses the Bible too much. What? And if I feel that pressure as a Christian chaplain working in a Christian hospital, I know you feel that pressure where you work. And what's the message? Keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, and whatever you do, don't proselytize. After its frightening beginning, we read something surprising in the second part of Jesus' letter to the church of Thyatira. If part one is Jesus' vision, part two is Jesus' affirmation. Don't worry, it's pretty short. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 19, I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. This is a vibrant church, a tight knit bunch. They love, they serve, and they welcome everyone. Good to meet you, glad to have you. Let me introduce you to my friends. Oh, you have children. Let me take you to the kiosk, and afterwards they can ride the slide down into their classroom. I'm not making that last part up. In Hamilton County, a church actually does that. Mommy, Daddy, I want to go to the church that has the slide. Not only that, because their pastor preaches short sermons, attendance is up. And of the seven churches, That Jesus writes in the book of Revelation Thyatira is the only church that is growing but here's what's interesting Thyatira is also the only church that isn't persecuted Ephesus is Smyrna really is Pergamum is but Thyatira isn't why is that? Let's keep reading Jesus' letter to the church of Thyatira. If part two is Jesus' affirmation, part three is Jesus' criticism. And it's a bit longer. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 20 through 21, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Now, I checked with Joel, and in the past year, 22 babies have been born here at Soma. 12 were boys, 10 were girls, and believe it or not, Not one of them was named Jezebel. (laughs) That in spite of the fact that Jezebel is a really pretty name. Say it with me. Jezebel. It sounds like a Disney princess, doesn't it? Not exactly. It's more like a Disney queen. Think Maleficent with a plunging neckline. And you get the picture. Jezebel is the wife of King Ahab who seduces him and God's people to worship the god Baal. And then she goes on a killing spree and murders the Lord's prophets. Fast forward to the book of 2 Kings. We read that King Ahab, her husband, is killed in battle. But the new king comes looking for Jezebel. We read in 2 Kings chapter 9 that Jezebel paints her eyes and she adorns her hair. And she looks down from the tower where she's hiding at the new king, King Jehu, and says, woo-hoo, I'm up here. The idea is that just like King Ahab, the new king will be captivated by her beauty. But he isn't. He calls up to her eunuchs and says, hey, guys, I don't want to go up there, so why don't you throw her down? And they do. Splat. Don't look, it's messy. We read here in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 36, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel, and the corpse of Jezebel shall be as dung on the face of the field in the territory of Jezreel. So no one can say, this is Jezebel. But 900 years later, Jesus comes in to the church of Thyatira. He walks down the center aisle with his eyes like burning fires and his feet like burnished bronze. Boom, boom, boom. And he points to a woman in the second row, not you, the second row, and he says just that, this is Jezebel. Because like Jezebel, the lady sitting in the second row is seducing God's people to A, practice immorality, and B, eat food sacrificed to idols. Intolerant, Jesus goes on to say in Revelation chapter 2, verse 22, Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless... They repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Now, at this point, there are some of you who are saying, I'm not sure I like intolerant Jesus. And besides, what does he have to do with us? Here at Soma. Brand and I have not talked about this, but I doubt there's a Jezebel sitting in the second row here. But make no mistake. Like the church of Thyatira, we are being seduced. How? Let's keep reading Jesus' letter to the church of Thyatira. If part three is Jesus' criticism... Part four is Jesus' invitation. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 24, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. Much like Indianapolis back in the day, Thyatira is a blue-collar town who focuses on manufacturing. And because of that, the trade unions were all powerful in the city. There is the BLU, the Bricklayers Union. There is the LWU, the Linen Workers Union. But most notably, there was the BWU. The Bronze Workers' Union, who forged burnished bronze in furnaces of fire. That's where they get that image for Jesus. Now imagine that you are a member of the BWU, the Bronze Workers' Union. To keep your job, you are required to attend the monthly meetings at the local union hall, which double as a temple to Vulcan the Roman god of metalworkers. Thank you for attending tonight's meeting of the BWU. Before we get to the business portion of our meeting, I want everybody to stand up, walk down the center aisle, and put a pinch of incense on the altar to Vulcan. And everybody starts shouting, Vulcan, Vulcan, Vulcan. And your buddy's sitting next to you. He gets up. He starts walking down the center aisle. And he sees you sitting there. Come on, dude, stand up. Do you want to lose your job? And you look at him and say, you know I can't stand up. I'm a Christian. I can't say Vulcan, Vulcan, Vulcan. And your buddy says, oh, come on, dude. It's no big deal. It's just a pinch of incense. But it's not just a pinch of incense, is it? Because after the business portion of the meeting, the real business begins. That's when the temple prostitutes come out. And like every other meeting, you know how this one ends with guilt and with shame. If only there was a loophole, a way that you could be a Christian and keep your job, and who's kidding who, have a little fun without the guilt, without the shame. And that is what tolerant Jezebel offers you. The next morning, you run into her at the church. Heard you had a rough night. How do you know? She smiles seductively and says, I have my sources. Oh, man, before I went to that meeting, I told myself I wouldn't do it, not this time. And she goes, you don't read everything in the Bible and take it literally, do you? Oh, come on. And besides, there's something deeper. What do you mean, deeper? I know this is a bit over the head of a bronze worker like you. But let me dumb it down for you. Do you believe that Jesus died for your soul? Well, absolutely. Wow. Wow. If he died for your soul, what difference does it make what you do with your body? A pinch of incense over here, a little, you know what, over there. Don't beat yourself up. Nobody's perfect. Tolerant Jezebel offers the tyrants a loophole, a way they could be a Christian and keep their jobs. But take a close look at Verse 24. What does Jesus call that little loophole? The deep things of Satan. Well, I finished my chaplaincy program in December, and in January I began applying for jobs. A month or so ago I heard back from a hospice company. The interviews went great. And the last step of the process was for me to meet with the woman who would be my Boss. After some pleasantries and telling her a little bit about myself, her first and only question was this. What kind of chaplain are you? I don't know. Is this a trick question? Uh, a good chaplain? A Christian chaplain? She replied a bit testily, well, I can see in your resume that you're a Christian chaplain. But what I want to know is this: take a look. What kind of Christian are you? And she gave me two options. Are you a spiritual Christian who is tolerant? Or are you a biblical Christian who is intolerant? That's not exactly how she put it. But that was what she meant. And at that moment, like the Christians, the Thyatira, I was looking for a loophole, a way I could be a Christian, in this case, get a job. And so I was tempted to tell her, oh, yeah, I'm a spiritual Christian. I'm practicing a, a daily, um, what was it, daily, daily rule of life. That's it. I forgot. I wasn't quite that smooth. I practice a daily rule of life. And my wife and I do Lectio Divina together. She would have no idea what Lectio Divina was, but it would sound spiritual, wouldn't it? And while that's what I do happily and gladly, that is not who I am. And say I told her, if I have to choose, I'm a biblical Christian who believes that Jesus came to this earth, he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead. Because God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You know what she did? She hung up on me. I kid you not. (laughs) I'm... I'm in a Zoom room, and all of a sudden, so-and-so has left the room, and I'm sitting there for like 10 minutes. Finally, she called me back and said, oh, I'm so sorry. My internet went out. But I could tell the interview was over. And what was her message to me? To get this job, you have to keep your head down and your mouth shut, and whatever you do, don't proselytize. But is that true, or is it just another deep truth of Satan? When the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Revelation, it is estimated that 40,000 Christians were martyred by the Romans. And I know that sounds like a lot, but in the past decade, 900,000 Christians have been martyred. That's 90,000 every Year. That's one every six seconds. And if they're willing to lose their lives for Jesus, I'm willing to lose a job. Which raises this question what kind of of Christian are you? Are you the kind of Christian who's willing to lose a job for Jesus? Are you the kind of Christian who's willing to lose your life for Jesus? Or are you the kind of Christian who keeps your head down and your mouth shut and whatever you do, don't proselytize? See that sign over there? It says the gospel Changes everything. And I wholeheartedly agree that the gospel is more than evangelism. But it is not less. Which raises another question. Why are we so afraid to talk to our friends and neighbors about Jesus? Are we really afraid we're going to lose our jobs? Are we really afraid that we're going to lose our lives? Not really. Here's what I think it really is. Take a look. We are tolerant because we want to be tolerated, right? We are tolerant because we want to be tolerated. But Jesus never called us to tolerate people. He called us to love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But not just our neighbor We're supposed to love our enemy. The lady who hangs up on you in a Zoom room, that's who. See, the problem with tolerance is not that it sets the bar too high, it sets the bar too low. Jesus' message to us and the church of Thyatira is we have to stop tolerating our neighbors and we have to start loving our neighbors by telling them about Jesus. And when we do, Here is Jesus' promise in Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And here's the promise. And I will give him the morning star, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The morning star is the one that shines after all the other stars have become dark. It's a reference to an obscure prophecy found back in the book of Daniel, which says, on the day of the Lord, when Jesus returns, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There's only two ways. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Or as Jesus put it in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give praise to your God in heaven. He who has an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And with that in mind, I want us to pause for a moment now and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our heart. If it helps, just take a posture where you're open to receive what the Spirit is saying, not just to the church, but to you. Now that you've asked the Holy Spirit to speak, why don't you ask him this question? What am I tolerating? Not in our culture. Not in our church. But what am I tolerating in my life? listen again to Jesus' words, not just to the church of Thyatira, but to the church of Soma, to you and to me. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? The words of thee, son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works to the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give them the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.